Well, good morning, my good friends. How are you today? It's good to see you all here. Listen, if I haven't told you guys for a while, you are my favorite service. By far, you are my favorite. And I just want you to know that. Hugs to all of you. Hugs to all of you. We're in a series that we started last week um, in the 23rd Psalm, one of the most loved passages of Scripture in the Bible, called The Lord Is. And as we began this, we took just that first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And just to kind of recap where we've come from, when we talked about the Lord, uh, whenever you see Lord in capital letters, that's Jehovah, it's transliterated Jehovah. And it has the idea of God, this is the God who was, who is, and who is to come. It has to do with the, the past, the future, the present, the God who was, who is, and who is to come. It's the name that's most used for God in the Bible. Over 6,800 times you'll find uh, this name for God is used. And it's, it's, uh, the, uh, this name is so powerful of God, and it's the name that in Exodus chapter 3, where when Moses asked God to identify himself, he answered by saying, I am who I am. Again, giving the eternal nature of God. Always have been, always will be, I am today, I am who I am. When you come to the New Testament, you'll find Jesus using the same name to identify himself when he made the statement, before Abraham was, I am. And so if you wonder, you know, what's the connection between that? Basically, it, it's this. The Jesus of the New Testament is the same as the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Jehovah of the Old Testament same as Jesus of the New Testament. He's God eternal. This is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, God that you and I serve, who, who invites you and me to, to, to follow him. He wants to shepherd us. And, and yet with all of these characteristics of, of how, how creative and how powerful and all these things, yet he's a personal God. He's a very personal God. He is Jehovah Rohi. He is the Lord, my shepherd. He's the one who guides me. He's the one who protects me. He's the one who covers me. He's the one who provides me. All of these things. He's Jehovah Rohi. And so we looked at, at that last week. And as we continue in this uh, series, and, and now in the second message in the series, we want to pick up again in, in verse 1, where David continues, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Everybody repeat after me. I shall not want. I shall not want. Now, shep, uh, sheep don't need much. Okay? They just don't need much. Basically, what sheep need um, is, is water. They need food. They need uh, to be made to rest because they're too stupid to rest on their own. And so they're, they're made to lie down in green pastures, and they need protection because they're absolutely defenseless. They cannot take care of themselves. And so for a shepherd, it was a 24-7 job. Had to constantly be on the lookout uh, for you know, bad water, uh, poisonous plants, uh, a, a prowling animal that wanted a tasty lamb chop or something like that, had to constantly be watching out. And sheep have a nature of wanting to wander off. And, and, and so what a shepherd would do if there was a sheep that just you seemed to want to wander all the time, the shepherd would put a bell around the sheep's neck. So that when it wandered off, especially in the evening at night, he would hear it when it would wander off. 
And, you know, I stop and I think again about sheep. I think, I don't know, how many times, you know, should I have a bell around my neck? How many times should you maybe have a bell around your neck? Because you and I are prone to wander, aren't we? I mean, what's the song that we sang? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Which, what is it. What's that song? Anybody know? Prone to, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Hey, yeah, come thou found. Is that it? Good for you. Good for you. And, and so we, we are. We're, we're prone to wander. And sometimes I think it'd be good just to put a bell around my neck, God, so that when I wander off, you know, you hear me and you see me. George, come on, get, get back over here. Get back. Get back over here. Now, sheep, you know, like human beings, they oftentimes want more than they need. Have you noticed that? They, they want more than they need. So they, they do. They, and, and again, you have to watch them like crazy because they'll eat more grapes than they should eat and they'll get drunk on the grapes. They ever get drunk on grapes? Uh, they'll eat more alfalfa than they should eat and so they'll bloat themselves to death. They'll wander off and get hit by a truck or, or, or something. And, and so they're always wandering, wanting more than what they've got. And I think, man, it is so much like human beings. It's so much like us. We have a tendency to want more than what we've got. And so we wander. And so David, in, in this beautiful psalm, he, he comes to this amazing conclusion where he says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Can I just ask you a question? How many of you, you know, there's something that you just, you want? Oh, come on. I know there's got to be more people. You are not that good, okay? Come on. How many, there's something I, I want. There's, I want more, okay? Now, there's a tension that rests there because God made us to, to want to, you know, achieve and, and to prosper and to do well. But, but yet there's this thing of contentment that we've got to deal with. And, and so the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I looked at different versions of this. Uh, I shall not lack. I'm never in need. I don't need a thing. But the one I like the best is this. I have everything I need. I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And why is that? It's because he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He provides everything you and I need. Now, let's get one thing really clear from the start, that David is not saying the Lord is my shepherd. I get everything I want. He's not saying that, is he? Although, if we had a preference, maybe that's the way we would write it. You know, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I get everything I want. But that's not what he's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. The word want is pretty interesting. It, there's actually kind of a, a double meaning to this word. First off, there's the, the idea of no shortage. In other words, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I, 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 don't, I don't have any shortage. I mean, I, I have everything that, that I need. There's, there's no shortage. And then the word want also has the idea of no desire. There's no desire for anything more. So on the one hand, I've got everything I, I need. And on the other hand, I don't, don't want anything else. I mean, wouldn't that be a great place to be? Wouldn't that be a great place to live life, to exist, to where you got to a place where... I've, I've got everything I need. And now that I think about it, I really don't want anything else. 
There are times I wish I could get there to that place. It's a tough place to get to, this, this, this whole notion of, of, of being content. You know, shepherds would, would actually mark their sheep so that they could identify them. And they would do things like maybe clip their ear a little bit. Or maybe they'd take some dye and, and, and color their hair or, or something of that nature. They would do that so they could identify uh, a sheep. Let me ask you a question. What would you say is one of the identifying characteristics or identifying marks of those of us sheep who follow Jesus? I've already given you the answer. Contentment. Contentment. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you, in your heart of hearts, you could say every day, I am completely content? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. And, and, and I want you to think about it for just a moment because sometimes we confuse the idea of contentment and, and, and what it is. But I think it's one of the distinctive characteristics of those of us who follow Jesus, our good shepherd, is that we're content. But, but contentment doesn't mean complacency. Okay, because sometimes we think if I'm content, then I, I become complacent. And it's not complacency. Complacency, I guess, could be characterized as, let's say you don't have a job, and your spouse is getting on your case to get a job, and you say, yeah, I'm, I'm content. I don't think so. You know, that's kind of like complacency. It's like get off your butt and go get a job. Go find a job. And so it's not complacency. It's, it's not um, laziness. Contentment is not laziness. It doesn't give you an excuse to be lazy. If you find every day, you know, you're sitting on the couch and you're eating potato chips or watching TV or playing computer games and you're just lazy and won't get out and do it, that's not an excuse. And you say, I'm just content. No, you're lazy. And so contentment's not lazy, and nor is contentment a lack of ambition. It's not a lack of ambition. It's, it's not not wanting to, to improve yourself. Listen, if you're capable of A's and B's, but you're making C's and D's, then it's maybe because, you know, well, I'm just I'm content with C's and D's. No, you, you lack initiative. And, and so it's not that. And, and so what is contentment then? What is contentment? It's an interesting word, artarchia is the Greek word, and it basically means that to be self-sufficient. It's in your notes, a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. This perfect condition where no aid or support is needed. That's, that's kind of the Greek word for contentment. And, and Paul uses the word or a form of the word several times. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and that's not in your life notes, but he makes this statement where he says, but godliness with contentment, it's great gain. And if you want to talk about contentment, then you're eventually going to have to end up in Philippians. And so I want us to go there. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I've learned to be what? Content. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances. So obviously in this context, Paul is not saying, I've learned to be self-sufficient. I've learned to be dependent on me, and I don't need anyone else. I don't need anything else. That's not what Paul is talking about. The perfect condition that Paul is speaking about is that he's learned to be God-sufficient, or he's learned to be Jesus-sufficient, or he's learned to be Christ-sufficient. He's learned to be sufficient in him, in, in, in that, you know, when you look at this, the first glance is you look at this, and Paul says, oh, I've learned to be content. You know, no matter how I have a lot, have a lot. Just don't gripe about it. 
you know. And, and we think that contentment is getting to the place where you don't gripe or you don't complain about stuff, okay. It, contentment's more than that. Contentment's it's going beyond just not griping and just not complaining. Although, how many of you know somebody that would be a huge win for them if they could just learn not to gripe and complain? You know somebody? How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? You know, and, and so it goes beyond that. The idea of contentment goes way beyond that in that what Paul is talking about here is not passively uh, accepting a situation and, and not griping and complaining, but he's talking about this perfect condition of, of the, it, here, here it is. It's this inner condition of the heart, this, this inner condition of your heart where, where you are at peace and there's this quietness, there's this, this, um, this calmness about you that is born out of a relationship with God so that no matter what happens in your life, it's okay. It's okay. So it doesn't matter if you have a lot or if you have a little. It doesn't matter if you're healthy or if you're sick. It doesn't matter if you have a great job or if you have a job that sucks. It doesn't matter if you, you know, lost your job or everything's fine. It doesn't matter because there's something deep inside of you where there's this sense of I'm okay and it's born out of a relationship with God because you know that God is in absolute control of all things, including your life. That's what contentment is really all about. And so Paul is able to say then in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or whether I'm living in want. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And so what Paul is saying is that contentment is not based on the circumstances around us. It's not based, you know, your contentment is not based on whether the weather is good or not or whether you have a big house or not or whether you have the right clothes or not or whether you have the right job or not or whether you're healthy or not. Contentment is not based on that. And so in your, in your life notes, write this down. Contentment has nothing to do with circumstances around us has nothing to do with the circumstances around us. It has everything to do with who is living within us. That's where contentment comes from. Nothing to do with the circumstances, everything to do with who's living within us. Write this down. Contentment means I have everything I need because I have Jesus. I have everything I need because I have Jesus. That's exactly what David is saying in Psalm 23.1. It's exactly what Paul is saying in Philippians. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I don't need anything else. I'm doing just fine. And if I happen to have a lot, that's great, and I'm thankful for it. If God removes it, that's okay, because I trust he's in ultimate charge and in control of my life. Wouldn't you love to be at that place? Wouldn't you love to be at that place? I would. But I have to admit to you, I'm not often there. I'm, I'm not always there. It's a journey for me because I, I like probably many of you, I, I sometimes worry about stuff. And as sometimes I'm anxious about things. And, and sometimes I'm fearful about stuff. And, and it's sometimes difficult to, to be content and to come back to that place where deep inside, 
yeah, but I know God is in ultimate charge. He's in control. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be fine. So how do I get to that place? Let me give you six things to think about. I'm talking, don't worry, I'm not going to spend a lot, long time on, on all of these or any of these. But let me give these to you to think about this week. And here's the first one. And, and listen, you and I have to begin where David began. Okay? And here's the first one. Accept Jesus as my Lord. Okay? We're talking about contentment. If you're going to go through this life and you're going to get to a place where you are content in life, you've got to accept Jesus as your Lord. That's where David started. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is my shepherd along with, or he didn't say the Lord, among other things, is my shepherd, or, you know, the Lord is sometimes my shepherd. No, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You won't experience contentment until you have that abiding presence of, of Jesus in your life. I told you last week, and I'll repeat it again, the, the Lord cannot be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. The Lord cannot be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. Sometimes people want it both ways. They, they want Jesus to be their shepherd and to provide stuff. But Jesus, you sit on the chair and, and I'll run my life, okay? And I'll be in control of my life. I'll be in charge of my life. And whenever I need something from you, then I'll come and ask you for it, okay? And, and you do the providing, I'll do the controlling, okay? And it can't be that way. The, the, the Lord is not your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. He has to be the Lord of your life, has to be the CEO, has to be the one in charge, has to be the one in control of your life. And so David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and none of this, this uh, co-pilot stuff. You know, every, every now and then you'll see a bumper sticker that says, you know, God is my co-pilot. You know, I don't know you've seen that. But, you know, God doesn't want to be your co-pilot, okay? Um, the reality is, if, if he's your co-pilot, then you're going to crash and burn, and you're going to blame him for it, okay? And, you're gonna, and he's going to take the, the blame for it all. And, and, and so, how do you do that? And, and let me ask you, how, how, how's it going for you if, if you're in control of your life? How's that working for you? Probably not too well. And so, he has to be in control. Now, he doesn't force you. He doesn't force you to follow him. That's the nature of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John gives us these words. He says, yet to all who received him. Circle that word received. And to all who believed in his name. Circle that word believed. To all who received him and believed in his name. He gave the right to become the children of God. And so it begins by accepting Jesus as my Lord. Now, I know most of you here, you've made that decision, okay? And, and you're down the road on that. But there could be some people here who have not done that. And it could be you've made the decision that Jesus is your Lord, but you kind of wander away and you want to still take control of your life and you have to come back and say, no, Lord, I hand it back to you. I get off the throne of my life and, and I put you back in charge and make you Lord. Here's number two. Make the choice to rejoice. Make the choice to rejoice. Now, again, we're talking about how do you get to a place where you are living in contentment, where it doesn't matter whether you have a lot or a little, things are good, things are bad. You, you're able to make the choice to rejoice. Now, I think you would agree with me that for most of us, our natural inclination is not to rejoice over everything, to not rejoice when things are tough, to not rejoice when things are difficult. I mean, our natural inclination can be to whine or complain or to worry, 
to fear or stuff like that. And, and would you not agree with me that it's possible, that it's, that it's ever so possible to be always wanting something else that you don't have, and until you get it, you're not content. And so it's difficult to rejoice. Would you agree with me? And so, therefore, we wander off because we think, if I can just get this, then I'll be happy and I can be joyful. If I just get this, then I can be happy and then I'll be joyful. I mean, I see it happen all the time. Somebody say, you know, when, when I can get a new boss, then I'll, I'll be happy. When I can get a new job, then I'll be happy. When I can get a new spouse, then I'll be happy. When I can find another church, then I'll be happy. And people do it all the time. And like if somebody needs to put a bell around their neck and say, get back over here because you're wandering. Because you think if you go to this pasture, it's going to be greener. Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. You're just probably wandering. And you're looking for something else to give you cause for joy. Now, so what Paul says in First Thessalonians, he says, be joyful always. How many of you are joyful always? You know, not too many. I mean, it's tough to be joyful always, yet this is a command that he gives, and he wouldn't give it unless we could keep it because it is a choice. It's our choice to do that. And then Paul in Philippians 4, he says this, rejoice in the Lord. What's that word? Always. To rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Now, think about it for just a moment. Where was Paul when he wrote this? Okay. He's in a jail. He's in prison for doing the right thing. He's not in a five-star, all-inclusive resort in Costa Rica, okay? He's in prison for doing the right thing. And he says, ah, you know, I can rejoice in all things. I can rejoice. Why is that? Well, the secret is found when he says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, that was his focal point was the Lord, not his circumstances around him, but his focus was on the Lord. And there's another secret in this verse, too, that helps us to understand how we can rejoice in all things. And it's found in the very last phrase in that verse. It says, the Lord is near. Circle that phrase, the Lord is near. What does that have to do with rejoicing in all circumstances? This is what it has to do with it. That's a statement of perspective. And what Paul was saying I can rejoice whether I have a lot or whether I have little because it doesn't matter because the Lord is near. He's coming back any time. And because he is, then all this other stuff is temporal, and it really doesn't matter. I mean, how many times do we start worrying and get anxious and be fearful over things that, that you know, are in the big, big, big picture of things? They're not that important. They're temporal things. And so Paul says those things don't matter because the Lord is near. And because I know Jesus is returning, then regardless of what happens in life, I'm able to rejoice because he's near. And if you and I can keep that perspective in life, then we're going to move to a place of contentment because we know Jesus is coming back soon. And so no matter how things are on the outside, because of that perspective, Things are good on the inside. Make the choice to rejoice. Here's number three. Worry, and you can fill in the blank, about nothing. Worry about nothing. How many of you would say worry is your spiritual gift? Raise your hand. You know, a lot of us worry. We, 
<laughs> I can see, I love to see the elbows. You know, a lot of us, we do, we just, we just worry. And among other things, worry is a sign of, of discontentment. Notice what Paul says again in Philippians 4, 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Can you imagine what life would be like if you didn't worry about anything? How cool would that be? I mean, if you could actually get to a place, if I could get to a place. Listen, I'm preaching to me, okay? I'm just, I say you a lot. I could say, George, how great would life be if you could just get to a place where you didn't worry? about anything, where you weren't anxious about anything. And we all know that worrying about stuff, being anxious about stuff, it doesn't help, does it? It doesn't help at all. In fact, it hurts everything. It hurts you physically. It hurts you emotionally. hurts you spiritually. hurts you relationally. It just hurts you in every kind of way to worry because God didn't wire you to worry. He doesn't want you to, to worry. And we all know that when we worry, what good is it doing? I mean, how many of you have ever noticed that worry changed something from the past? Never. It doesn't happen. It, it's impossible. It can't. And, and how many times have you worried, and because you worried, oh, good, the future took care of itself because you worried about it. You know, worry doesn't change the future. What does worry do? It, it messes up today, doesn't it? It just really does. It messes up today. It just, it steals the joy. It steals the happiness. It steals the peace. It steals the contentment. It steals the passion. It, it steals the moment. That's what worry does for us. And, and, so, and so Paul is very direct and he says, don't be anxious about anything. And then you, you take Jesus, our good shepherd. What does he say about worry? Well, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. I mean, how many, of you, how many of you are worried about tomorrow, you know, or five years from now, and 10 years from now? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrows too. I came across this verse this past week. It's not in your notes, but just listen to this. This is Psalm chapter 46, verse 4, and it's from the New Living Bible. This is what he says. I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age. I love that phrase, until your hair is white with age, okay? If you shave it off, he still knows the color. And if you color it, he still knows the color, okay? And, and so until your hair is white with age. I made you, and I will care for you, and I will carry you along, and I will save you. Isn't that a fantastic passage of Scripture? Psalm 46, verse 4. The root word for worry means to choke. You know, it just chokes the life out of you. It means to, to strangle someone, to be strangled. That's what worry does. And so if you want to move to a place, if I want to move to a place of contentment, worry about nothing. Here's number four, pray about everything. Yeah, pray about everything. Just pray about everything. Pray about everything. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, but in every situation, let God know what you need. Just let him know what you need in prayers and in requests. So what do you pray about? You pray about everything. You pray about all those things you're worrying about. And some of you might say, well, I don't have time to pray. Do you have time to worry? If you have time to worry, you've got all the time in the world to pray. 
Some of you might need to go find your special place to pray. You, you might have s- several special places to pray. One of mine actually is a steam room. I, I try to get to the health club maybe three to four, five times a week, and I always kind of finish up by getting in the steam room. Sometimes I just go to the steam room just to pray. In fact, a couple times this weekend, so I'm just going to go to the steam room. I need to go pray. And, you know, because nobody's in there, and it's just me, and uh, it's always healthy. You know, I think, at least I think it's healthy to do that. And, um, and, and so, you know, I get to go to the health club to, to eliminate stress and work out, and, and, and then I get a steam room that relaxes me, and I pray. So, you know, I'm, like, uh, taking care of my physical body, my emotional body, my spiritual body. All that stuff is like killing three birds with one stone. So, so you got to figure it out. It is hot up here. Is it me or you? I'm talking about the steam room, and so my body is probably thinking, steam. <laughs> and so I don't know about you, but, but listen, if you've got time to worry, you've got time to pray. It's just a conversation with God. Talk to him. Pray about everything. And then number five, thank God in all things. Just thank God in all things. And again, in Philippians 4, as Paul continues that verse 6, after he talks about, you know, praying and asking him for, in, in, for everything, he says, always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. I believe closely related to a joyful attitude that we just talked about is a grateful spirit. I think the two are so closely related to one another. If you see somebody who has a grateful spirit, almost always they have a joyful attitude. The two just run close together. And, and I would encourage you, uh, again, I, I've told you this before, and, and I'll, I'll probably say it many, many more times. If the only prayer you ever prayed from here on out was, God, thank you, that would be enough. That would be enough. Now, he doesn't mind you asking him for stuff. In fact, that's what prayer is about. But if, if, you, if you and I could get into a habit of saying, God, thank you. Thank you for for my, my wife, thank you for my family, thank you for your grace, thank you for your love, thank you for your mercy, thank you for your forgiveness, thank you for the opportunities that are ahead of me today, thank you for the challenges. If I can just learn to, to live life with a grateful spirit, Lord, I, I thank you, I thank you. I believe it begins to, to change your whole framework to where you are not only a grateful person, but now you become a very joyful person. And I actually think you begin to attract those very things that you're thanking God for in your life as opposed to griping and complaining about things that you could gripe and complain about and, and having that set the context for your day. Brennan Manning, in his book, Ruthless Trust, he made a great statement about gratefulness. Listen to this. The person with an abiding spirit of gratitude is the one who trusts God. The foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. Why is this? He says, gratitude rises from the deep belief and conviction that all of life is a gift, an undeserved and unearned gift from the Father's hand. The grateful heart cries out in the morning, Thank you, Lord, for the gift of a new day. I challenge you to try to get up every day, and as you're driving to work, just take time to thank God. And he'll bring to mind those things, that, and you'll begin to thank him for these things, and you'll begin to take on this, this attitude of thanking God in all things. Here's number six. Think about the right things. Think about the right things. I don't have to tell you how important it is 
that you focus on the right things if you're going to be content. What happens so many times in life is we begin looking around and we think about what everybody else has and what we don't have, and so therefore we become discontent. And, it, and, and so we start looking around, we think about everything everybody else has, and we begin to wander, and, and we begin to lose the joy and the gratitude. And so I encourage you to think about the right things. And so Paul, he sums this up beautifully. He says, summing it all up, my friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on the best and not the worst. Circle the word best. What are the best things in your life? And the beautiful, not the ugly. What are the beautiful things in your life? Because you could focus on the ugly, but, but you could focus on the beautiful things and things to praise and not things to curse. There's lots of things you could probably cuss about and curse. But there's lots of things you can praise God for as well. And, and so I encourage you, think about the right things if you want to move to contentment. Isaiah gives us great advice. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Perfect peace, all who trust you and all who keep their thoughts fixed on you. Think about this. Jesus has already met your greatest need. What's your greatest need? Is it more money? Is it a bigger house? Better health? Better job? Better spouse? What's your greatest need? Your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sin and to know that he has gotten you safely home, that he will bring you safely home. That's, that's your greatest need. And he's, he's already taken care of that. He's already taken care of that. In Psalm 68, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, praise God our Savior, because each day he carries us in his arms. Each day he carries us in his arms. I love this picture of this shepherd carrying this sheep. There's just something about that. You know, it's just warming. I love that picture, but I love this next picture even more, a picture of Jesus holding a sheep because it's kind of a picture that's, that's us, and which leads me to this next picture. I love this one the most because there are times in life where you feel like, I just don't have what it takes. I, don't, I can't go further. I, I'm, I've worn, I'm worn out. I, I've, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know where to turn. And, and you've lost strength. You've lost hope. You, you've lost joy. You've lost contentment. All these things that, that you want. And, and Jesus, our good shepherd, he holds you up. He carries you. What's so interesting about shepherd and sheep is this. Whenever the shepherd would bring the sheep home for the evening and lead them into the pen, you know what the shepherd would do? the shepherd would stand at the gate of the pen and he would personally look at each sheep to examine them to see if they had a cut or a wound or something like that. And then he would, if he found one that had a cut or a wound, he would take ointment and he would put it, he would cover the wound with that ointment. And then the sheep would go in. A moment ago I said that Jesus has already taken care of your greatest need, and that's the forgiveness of your sin. You see, all of us are marred by sin. All of us are cut by sin. All of us are, are wounded by sin. We're a bunch of wounded people. And what Jesus has done for you, he has covered you. He has anointed you 
with his blood and he's covered your sin. He's taken care of your greatest need. And he says, I will get you safely home. And so when you come to the final analysis of it all, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And therein I can be content. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head as we close out today. Some of you here have never surrendered your life to Jesus. The Lord is not your shepherd. But he can be. And he wants to be. But he's not going to force you to accept him. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. If your desire today is to open your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you be my shepherd? Would you be my guide? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? He'll say, yes. He's calling you. And, and some of you here, you've made that decision, but maybe you've wandered a bit from, from God and, and you need to come back. And you need to know that, that he, he greets you. He welcomes you. He even pursues you and puts you on his shoulders and brings you back. If your desire today is to come back, or to come to the Lord for the first time, I'm going to ask if you would just pray this prayer with me and to repeat this after me. Father in heaven, today I am so thankful for Jesus. And Jesus, I know I need you to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sin, to guide me, to lead me, to protect me. I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. And I choose to follow you. I pray this in your name. Amen.